0: We're starting a new series this week, one I'm pretty excited about, because we'll be going through one of the most important books in the Bible, Exodus. Meredith sort of gave us a preview of it last week at Easter, actually, looking at some of the many ways in which the story of the Exodus and the story of Jesus line up with and speak to each other. Exodus was the foundational story for the people of Israel in the Old Testament and is used as a foundational way to understand Jesus in the New And there's a very important reason for those parallels. The authors of the new Testament want to make clear that what God is doing in Jesus is entirely of a piece with what God was doing in the Exodus. That this is the same God being who this God has always and will always be. Exodus gives us one of the foundational pictures of who our God is. And that's the lens we're going to be looking at it through. The book starts by catching us up on where we are in the story setting the scene, so to speak, linking back to where the story in Genesis left off. And it does it the way all your favorite stories do, I'm sure, with a long list of names. These are the names of the sons of Israel who came to Egypt with Jacob, each with his household. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, and Judah, Issachar, Zebulun, and Benjamin, Dan and Naphtali, Gad, and Asher. The total number of people born to Jacob was 70. Joseph was already in Egypt. Then Joseph died and all his brothers and that whole generation, but the Israelites were fruitful and prolific. They multiplied and grew exceedingly strong so that the land was filled with them. That's how Exodus opens. Everything was looking good for the Israelites. They had escaped the famine in their own land and been saved by Joseph in Egypt. And now verse seven tells us that they were fruitful and multiplied and they filled the land. Now land, by the way, it's the same word in hebrew as earth so this could just as easily say the earth was filled with them perhaps those words sound a little familiar and if they do it's because they are exactly what god commanded humanity to do in the opening chapters of genesis be fruitful and multiply fill the earth the people of israel in other words were doing exactly what god had desired for them to do they were thriving Perhaps you've had those seasons when things are going just how they're supposed to go and you can feel God's presence smiling on you and see God's blessings multiplying all around you when you are content and happy and secure in the knowledge that you are right where God wants you to be, doing exactly what God wants you to do. It's a beautiful place to be, one that you'd want to just stay in forever. But at some point, things turn. Verse 8, now a new king arose over Egypt who did not know Joseph. He said to his people, look, the Israelite people are more numerous and more powerful than we. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, or they will increase and, in the event of war, join our enemies and fight against us and escape from the land. Therefore, they set taskmasters over them to oppress them with forced labor. This turn is what sets us up for what is to come in the story of Exodus. The sweetness of life in Egypt has turned bitter. Disaster has struck, and the people are reduced to toil and oppression and drudgery, and sorrow. Perhaps you've had those seasons, the ones that come on the heels of the good times and are all the more bitter for it, when you can remember the sun that was shining its warmth into every corner of life, but now look around and there's nothing but dark clouds and chill winds. And the Israelites wait, and they wait, and the wait stretches into what feels like eternity until that warm sun starts to feel like it was never real at all, that it was all just a dream with no reality there. When God feels like a mystery, if there is any God there at all, just wishful thinking and dashed hopes. And we, like the Israelites, forget who that God was that we thought we knew. Maybe we remember the stories, many of them we forget. We remember that there were promises made by that God, but then look around and, well, here's reality right in front of us and it doesn't line up with the promises. And we wait The Exodus begins with the Israelites having waited for hundreds of years. And for the first two chapters, God doesn't show up at all, or so it seems. We'll look at that in the coming weeks. And the people cry out. Maybe at first they cry out to the God who had promised them so much more. Maybe over time they just start crying out to the emptiness, hoping that something will happen, that something will change, that the sun will poke out again. I have a bit of an over-the-shoulder view of what Meredith is up to on the internet, And so many of the people who have connected with her work are people who are in that sort of situation where the God they thought they knew doesn't seem there anymore, but lingers in the back of their heart all the same. Many are fundamentally hung up on the picture of God they were given. And what Meredith is often trying to do is give them permission to let go of that false view of God and hold on instead to a better, more biblical, more beautiful, truer view of God. They're asking The same thing as the Israelites, the same thing that we sometimes ask in the dark times. Who is this God? Where are they? Can we even trust them at all? Are they going to do anything? Can they? When Moses first encounters Pharaoh and sings in a deep voice, let my people go. There's something like that. I think that's how the story goes. Anyway, Pharaoh's response is to vocalize the most important question. The one the Israelites were asking. The one many of the people Meredith's work touches are asking. The one we sometimes ask. Pharaoh says, who is this Yahweh? Now, Pharaoh asks it in a more defiant tone. The tone brought out by the empire, which wants no challenge to its power. But the question is the same for the oppressed. The downtrodden. The brokenhearted. Who is this Yahweh? Do they offer hope? Can they give life? Can they save me? Or are they just one more idol who promises to deliver me from the realities of this world that oppress me and beat me down, but that is ultimately powerless? The story of the Exodus is a story of introduction introduction, or maybe reintroduction, to this God, Yahweh. Who they are, what their character is like, what they're about, what they're up to. And that's how we're going to read the story. Who is the God we meet in these pages? And what does it mean to trust them, live with them, be their people? When God finally shows up in the story, it's in the form of a burning bush. And Moses, the man who began life as a baby condemned to death, then became a prince, then fled for his life into the wilderness, the man whose very life mirrored the fate of his people as a whole, a small tribe condemned to death by famine, who escape and thrive in Egypt, but then are flattened by slavery and driven into the wilderness, Moses turns aside to see this bush that doesn't burn up, and Yahweh, God of the whole earth, speaks. This is Exodus 3, 7-10. Then Yahweh said, I have seen the misery of my people who are in Egypt. I have heard their cry on account of their taskmasters. Indeed, I know their sufferings, and I have come down to deliver them. From the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land to a good and spacious land to a land flowing with milk and honey to the country of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. The cry of the Israelites has now come to me. I have also seen how the Egyptians oppress them. Now go, I am sending you to Pharaoh to bring my people, the Israelites out of Egypt. So who is this God? In most stories, the very first words and actions of a character are central to who they are. It shows us the character themselves. And what does God say first? Four action verbs. I have seen. I have heard. I know. I have come down to deliver. Our God is a God who sees the misery of the people. All people, by the way, not just the Israelites. The God who sees is the name first given to God by Hagar in Genesis, the Egyptian slave girl forced to bear the child of her master, Abraham, who couldn't wait any longer for God to keep God's promises and decided that perhaps sexual violence was the right way forward. The girl whose very success in bearing that child seals her fate and forces her to flee. Here it is again. She flees into the wilderness. Here's Genesis 21, 9. But Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had born to Abraham playing with her son, Isaac. So she said to Abraham, cast out this slave woman with her son, for the son of this slave woman shall not inherit along with my son, Isaac. God is a God who hears the cries of the people, all people, because God shows up in the wilderness and says to Hagar, I've heard the cries of the child. This is verse 17. And God heard the voice of the boy. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, what troubles you, Hagar? Do not be afraid. For God has heard the voice of the boy where he is. Come, lift up the boy and hold him fast with your hand, for I will make a great nation of him. God is a God who knows the sufferings of the people. All people. Not knows like you or I know about the horrors of American slavery. Ah, yes, I've read an article about that or a book or two and I saw a picture of a slave ship once. God knows the sufferings of the people like one who is personally hung alone on a cross. Abandoned by so-called friends, rejected by the so-called people of God, killed in the most shame-filled, painful way by the greatest oppressors of the day, God knows the sufferings of the people, physical, emotional, existential. God is a God who comes down to deliver, but that's what the rest of the Exodus story is for. For now, maybe we are in the position of the Israelites, waiting and wondering if this God will come through. Maybe we're in the position of Moses, skeptical whether this Yahweh is worthy of trust and whether we should follow their command, now go, to Pharaoh. One consistent thing we see in scripture and in the history of the people of God is the importance of telling and retelling stories of who God is, what God has done, as a source of reminder and of fortification in the dark times. It's what we're going to do in the coming weeks as we go through Exodus. Look, this is who our God is. Look, this is what they have done. They really were a God who sees, a God who hears, a God who knows, a God who has come down to deliver. They really are still.